0: Hello and welcome to Obscurity Knox. I'm your host, Will Harris, once again taking time out of actually making money to talk about films and TV shows that no one else is talking about because no one else particularly cares about them. But if things go like they're supposed to, then today's guest will still have some entertaining stories about the experiences of making these things and make this whole thing worthwhile. But no pressure. Uh, And speaking of today's guest, uh, you may know him from his work with John Hughes on such iconic 80s films as Sixteen Candles and the Breakfast Club. Or if you're a vampire aficionado, you might have watched him in the 90s on Forever Night. Uh, But he's basically been a workaholic since the early 80s, as you can tell from the 60-plus films and 100-plus TV programs he's popped up on over the years, uh, including, just to cite a few more recent credits, Justified, Modern Family, Transparent, Togetherness, and to Keep the Folks at Home Happy, Republic of Doyle. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, John uh, Kapilis.
1: Thank you for that very nice introduction.
0: <laughs> Try to cover as many bases
1: as possible. Let's do it. Now you did give me the list, but I don't have it in front of me. But I have got a pretty good memory, so are you, are you going to like you know drill me? Is this how it works? Or what? Uh,
0: effectively, <laughs> uh, verbally speaking. Okay. Uh, and just to remind you of the uh, the premise, you get uh, three virtual cards that you can use during the course of the conversation.
1: I, I gotta I gotta make note of that. There's the go over those again. Sure. There is, the... is there a time limit on this podcast? We can go for a couple of hours. No, absolutely not. you fair game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. First off, we've got the uh, Just Say No card. Just Say No. And you can just literally just say, nope, and then uh, I, I cannot ask you any follow-up questions. Then there is the one-liner card where you... Don't have to go into detail, but you do have to at least give a one-sentence uh, explanation, and it can be as generic uh, as you prefer okay. uh, as to why you don't want to go into detail about it. Uh, it can be just like it wasn't any fun, or it can be as tantalizing as you want it to be because I'm not going to be allowed to ask you a follow-up anyway. Okay. Uh, and then the last one is the switcher card, which you can use if you just want to take one that either you don't want to talk about or just isn't a great story and then switch it out for something that's a better story or something that you want to uh, – Particularly hype because you were proud of
1: it. Okay, now what but if I same to talk at length about something and 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 bore you? You're not going to bore me by talking at length. I can assure <laughs> you. Okay, let's begin. This sounds fun. I'll probably uh, okay, well, whatever.
0: <laughs> we shall see. Uh, so the first one on the list is the Naked Face.
1: Great film. Great. Um, well. Uh... What do you want to know?
0: <laughs> well, first and foremost, the, the fact that it, it starred uh, Roger Moore, Rod Steiger, and Elliot Gould. It's like a trifecta of incredible acting.
1: It was a film I did in Chicago when I was working at Second City. I was in the resident company, and I got this film, and I played this killer. And Brian Forbes, the British director Brian Forbes, who had done a lot of wonderful movies, Sans in A Wet Afternoon, he, uh, King Rat was a great movie with George Segal, um, yeah. uh, really, uh, quite a fine film director. He was kind of a—he was an actor. He was like in the uh, Pink Panther. He plays the guy at the nudist colony when uh, Peter Sellers comes in, and uh, Pete, Brian Forbes is checking him in the nudist colony. He did a lot of those '50s movies with Dirk Bogart where I've got a gammy leg, Johnny. I'm bringing this plane in, you know, and things like that. <laughs> and um, but Brian—it uh, uh, was—it was married to Nanette Newman, and Nanette Newman worked with Morricone and Wise. Um, So I'm sort of a fan of all this sort of stuff. Um, He was really lovely to me, really lovely to me. I have several stories I can tell you from this film. Um, One of the funnier stories is the fact that uh, during the screening of the movie, um, Rod Steiger, who had just had uh, major face surgery, uh, told Brian before the shooting of the movie, I don't want to have any close-ups, right? And uh, and Brian says, "Well, darling, I mean, you know, I'm I have to cover the scenes, you know, and I want to show that beautiful face of yours. Yeah, you know, I don't want you to come in too close, right? <laughs> um. So Brian uh, followed his directive. So they're at the screening of the movie. <laughs> Rod Steiger's at the front of the theater, and Brian Forbes is sort of the back left of the theater, and it's filled with cast and crew. It's cast and crew screening, and the movie's showing and. And all of a sudden, Ross yells out, where are my fucking (laughs) (laughs) close-ups? And Brian yells out languidly in the corner, you didn't want any, darling. (laughs) (laughs) And they went back and forth. Um, Roger Moore was really delightful to work with. Elliot Gould was really – I had dinner with him Monday night. He made a uh, burger and we watched basketball. Nice. Nice. did this scene where I'm a killer and I, they were covering me. Uh, my second movie I think I'd ever done, or it was very early in my career and I didn't really know cameras and lenses and they got a tight shot on me and I'm coming in this apartment and I'm used to being on the theater stage and doing comedy. So I'm supposed to come in as this uh, killer and I come in sort of bouncing in, right? With my gun up in the air and I'm all, and and, and Brian stops and he goes, darling, 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 we're not Baryshnikov now, are we darling? At which point, Everybody laughed at me and, and I felt humiliated. He says, Come in, darling, with cat like tread. So um, I, I learned a lot from, uh, and Roger Moore was really cool, really cool to work with. Another
0: name that I did not mention that was in there Art Carney.
1: Art Carney uh, is in Naked Face?
0: Supposedly. Maybe you didn't have any scenes with him.
1: I don't know whether Art Carney, you know, I, it's been a while since I've actually seen the full movie. What's your name is in it? Um, Ann Archer. Ann Archer, right, Scientologist. Um, <laughs> I mean, she was married to a guy named Scientologist. It has nothing to do with it. Sure. It's this hyphenated last name. So, uh, so uh, I mean, does that satisfy your aching uh, desire?
0: I, I guess the only other thing I was curious about was uh, I'm kind of surprised that I wasn't even aware of this film given the, the level of, uh, of acting in well, it. Well, I mean,
1: here's the deal. Sidney Sheldon wrote the novel. It yeah. was produced by Golan Globus. There was this guy named Ronnie Yakov, a producer on the set, that would count the Snickers bars and tabs. He goes, John, did you have a Snickers bar this morning? I said, yeah. <laughs> because there were 18 here this morning and all the tabs are gone. We had three cases of tabs. It's like, you know, really? You're counting the Snickers bars and tabs? But these guys were Israeli uh, film producers who were kind of um, – David Gerfinkel was the, uh, the cinematographer. I remember the project well because, you know – I really wanted to do movies, and that's why I saw John Hughes. So I didn't go on a movie set going, What's this? You know, I sort of learned my stuff. <laughs> because when you're on a movie, in a movie set or movie crew, it's kind of like being in the army. There are all these different positions. I mean, I'm sure it's very similar, and everybody sort of sets in motion and does their job, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and that's why actually a lot of military people are like, you know, they're effects people or whatever. But it's kind of – it kind of works in that way because you're always going to different locations and places and you're literally invading people's homes and shooting and, and stuff. <laughs> but I love the process of movie making. And uh, Brian Forbes, uh, he died a couple of years ago. He's given me a couple of books. And there's one called The Rewrite Man, which I've got that man would make a great movie and I'd like to see – get the rights to it, so – the funny thing is you'll ask me about these movies, but usually if you're into the process of a career like I am, like Mm -hmm. normally what happens is you, you know, the one thing I have from that film that I still have to this day is I have a relationship with Elliot Gould, right? I see him and and that's important to me, even on a friendly level. And and because, you know, um, the one thing about our business or at least what uh, is is the collegiality and, and the kind of, we all work in this gypsy camp, so it's really good to know people that are, that are of a good quality. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. The, uh, the next one on the list is uh, Charmed Lives. Oh,
1: God, Charmed Lives. Uh, that was a spinoff of, um, of, uh, of uh, the um, t- Tony Danza. What was it? Um, oh, Who's the Boss? Yeah, Who's the Boss. It was a spinoff of Who's the Boss. John Randolph, I worked with him. You know who John Randolph was? I do, yeah. Uh, John Randolph was the only actor in the United States to ever be picketed by the uh, anti communist people in the early 50s on Broadway. Wow, that I didn't know. That is a uh, little known but profound fact. John Randolph was a gentleman. I did a. It's available on tape from LA Theater Works called the Waldorf Conference with Ed Asner, John Randolph, and a host of other people. And. Uh, uh, I worked with Donna Dixon, who is Dan Aykroyd's wife, and um, yep. Fran Drescher before Fran Drescher became Fran Drescher. It was a failed pilot. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember who directed it. Was it Asad uh, oh, oh, uh, 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 Colada? Of- right. Who's mm, directing Community Theater now in South Pasadena? Um, and I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> the uh, it, it's a cruel business. Um, you know, it was it was. I'm not a huge fan of acting in the half-hour sitcom. I find it, you know, despite the fact that I worked at Second City and I know audience, it's a weird hybrid that I've never quite mastered. And um, maybe it's because I haven't had the right in as a character in that world. But anyway, um, you know, you you shoot in front of a studio audience. uh, They amp up these lines that aren't particularly funny Um, sometimes, most times, you know everything has sort of an equal sameness to it. I mean, Woody Allen's reacted to it in several movies and with horror and, you know, the laugh track thing is really like, it's kind of like slathering paint over, a, you know, a masterpiece or something. It's like, what? Or, or slathering shellac over a masterpiece or something. I don't know. Uh, but I really loved, uh, I loved working with John Randolph (laughs) and uh, I really, really enjoyed working with Fran Drescher. Uh, um, Fuck. Can I swear? Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, I can I swear? Seriously? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there were a couple of things about that experience which were, which were entirely negative. Dealing with network television has always been a bit of a... It's a little like, you know, trying not to get the flu. I don't know. The the, the people that work in network television to this day, you know, they just, they just try to destroy stuff that it is good. And and um, that was the problem that I was just dealing with, the prepackaged nature of it. Go on.
0: <laughs> well, I was just going
1: to – Is Kurt Fuller's uh, forthcoming as this?
0: Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> is Very much Kurt is, so. <laughs> Kurt is a no-nonsense guy, right? He is, to say the least. Well, I, I noticed that the, actually the, the script for Charmed Lives was written by Paul Haggis.
1: Yeah, and that's a very interesting story because Paul Haggis and I are both from London, Ontario, and I knew him growing up because my first play was at a theater that he owned called the Gallery Theater, where I did a play called Indians by Arthur Kopit when I was 15 years old, and that's when I started acting. So um, Paul married a relative of mine, Diane Geddes. They had three kids together. Um, their two daughters are gay. That's the reason he left Scientology, because they told him how anti-gay the Scientology movement was. So this is all very So when I first came to California in 1977, sort of passing through after having worked in an oil rig in Vancouver and quit university, um, Paul Haggis and his wife, Diane, Diane and Paul put me up. So I knew Paul from way back when. And then in the 80s, he had been working on Facts of Life and had built this sitcom career well, he was writing career. And he's the one that um, we all all this sort of came together and let's do this show together. Uh, he then went up to do Do South. I was going to do Do South about nineteen twenty years ago, but that fell through. <laughs> um, but Paul, yeah, Paul wrote the script. Um, again, I mean, I, I like Paul's work, and I think he's probably liking being in the movie business more. But the sitcom <laughs> world is so constricting, and particularly in those times. This is pre-Seinfeld, pre, uh, you know, um, the pre- Free the the uh, the wave of comics hitting uh, Paul Reiser and all that stuff. You know, and and sitcoms a weird weird monster, right? It's a weird monster. Remarkable how it's evolved over the years. Well, yeah, it evolves, and but you know, I, I always come back to that that notion of the laugh track because there's this belief, <clears throat> and I think it's sort of a cutting point in show business. It's like, okay, do you think the audience is smart? If you think the audience is smart, you don't need a laugh track. But if you think the audience is dumb which uh, ha- another people, then then you got to put in the laughs because you think this is where they need to know where they're left. And then they say after a while, well, now that the laugh track is predominant, people need this and depend on it because they need to know where to laugh. But as you see from shows like the office, the minute you pull it out and do this other style of comedy, people go, Oh wow, that's really interesting. You know, <laughs> why didn't we think of that? And it says, well, because people have been trying to do that for years, but the strictures of it have not allowed you to do that. So, you know, it's these bullshit creative rules that people make, like a song's got to be three minutes and 25 seconds long, that, you know, it just doesn't work, right? Yeah. Because uh, everybody doesn't do it the same way. And you can quote me on that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm not talking about just sex. I mean, uh, cr- art. <laughs> yeah, moving on. But uh, seriously, though, you know.
0: Yeah, I know. They yeah. make these
1: creative rules, right? And then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, oh, you know, and breaks the rules. But you got to – the big thing about arts, whether it's jazz or anything, is like you just can't come in and break the rules. You've got to know the rules in order to break them. So that's the thing. Yeah. All right. Class over. Right. Next.
0: Okay. Oh, and just in closing, I was going to note that I found it funny that uh, that, uh, that was actually the second time that you worked together with Fran Drescher and Donna Dixon.
1: <laughs> when was the first time?
0: So they were both in Dr. Detroit.
1: Oh, shit, yeah. That was <laughs> – what a horrible movie that is. It's a movie that shouldn't have been made. I mean, I like Michael Pressman, but holy moly. <laughs> Sorry. And, that's all and right. it was one of the first things I ever did on camera. I was so nervous in the middle of the night and on Rush Street in Chicago. But the movie's dreadful. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghost. No, that's another film. But anyway.
0: Well, we may be actually entering into similar territory here, but the next one is uh, all's fair. Oh, God. I hear that so often during this podcast.
1: I should – so I have no one-line why and and switcher?
0: Uh, Correct, yes. Well,
1: I mean this is probably not one of those days where if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So uh, uh, Rocky Lang directed it. Do you know who Rocky Lang is? I do, yeah. Do you know who his father was? No, I don't. Um, his father was uh, Jennings Lang, and he was the head of Universal. And, oh, okay. And in Hollywood lore, it's famous for apparently having had an affair, and the lover came in and shot him in the uh, testicles. Jesus. So uh, you can look it up, but I'm not going to delve into that subject. It's it's very painful uh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently, it's uh, quite the subject of Hollywood uh, Babylon lore. Now, um, Rocky's brother is Mike Lang, who, if you don't know, is one of the most talented session piano players in Los Angeles. Um, I think he's played, I don't know what he's played with Steely Dan, but he's played, you know, in, uh, you know, probably John Williams soundtrack. He's he's an he's amazing piano player. I've seen him in action. And um, I think he's Rocky's either half-brother or whatever. I think uh, it was, uh, I don't know how this film came together, but I I, I do know. That my agent at the time I think was packaging it, and uh, Charles Durning was supposed to be the lead in it, and Charles Durning uh, couldn't get insured because he was uh, corpulent. Yeah. And um, the only reason I signed on because it's because I wanted to work with Charlie Durning, and all of a sudden they switch out Charlie Durning for George Siegel. and uh, wherever George Siegel was at in his career kind of immaterial, and then Sally Kellerman. And uh, then they put in a bunch of other people, um, Jane Kaczmarek being one of them, who's really quite great, and sort of a gallery of people. And it was this horribly stupid story about adults going on a – do you know anything about this? I
0: watched the uh, – there's like a clip online on YouTube, yeah. which was painful.
1: <laughs> uh. And it's it's we're we're out doing what's what's that called paintball fighting on a weekend or something? Yeah, like war games or something. Yeah. And 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 you know, when I die, I don't know whether I want to spend the next two minutes of my life talking about this and thinking, well, when I was with Will, we talked about all's fair. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, um Suffice to say, I found it to be a really disjointed set. There was a man on the set who was a Hispanic older actor. I've seen him in films. And I fucked with him. (laughs) And he got so angry with me. And he really got angry with me. And he's, I think, a man of some actor of maybe some note somewhere else. But uh, we all found ourselves in that space and time in the middle of the uh, where they shot MASH and stuff in, in the Fox Santa Monica Mountains by the ocean. Uh, Las Virginas Canyon out here in California where um, all the film lots Fox Paramount and everything in the day had their ranches out there and since that time they've ceded all the money to the California state so now it's all California state land but there's a proviso that film companies can shoot out there so they'd still do and so we're out in the middle of this area that could be you know Vietnam Africa for the TV show combat or whatever you know, uh, uh, North Africa for uh, the Rat Patrol, I mean, and or, uh, or you know, the Battle of the Bulge for combat. All the TV shows I grew up, you know, and, and so we're shooting out in the middle of this place with all these actors, and just the behavior. Be- and 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 Rocky did not really have a handle on the whole situation. Um, First time director and whatever. I don't know whether he's directed anything else since. Um,
0: he has a bit yeah,
1: yeah, and you know and and I you know I believe we're Facebook friends, but um, so rocky, if you're listening to this, uh call me, <laughs> Talk about all's fair, um but you know uh, uh, the one thing will is that when you do these again and again and again, you uh it's kind of like flying a lot, you kind of go, well, this plane is not really good, <laughs> <laughs> this plane, this pilot's not really, you know there are situations where you go, oh, this is great, and maybe this is not as great, but um, it was a stinker. Fuck. <laughs> I'll like,
0: well, I, I say that uh, the, uh, the movie poster uh, alone just made me shake my head.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the other thing is that uh, one of my uh, skills, and sometimes can, I can become unhinged on it, is being able to improvise on camera and also being able to remember what I improvised and doing it again. So you've got to shoot it from different places. But right. So I, I improvised ad nauseum. And there were some actors that were just apoplectic and stunned when I did that. And that still happens to this day. Like there are a lot of actors who just can't handle it. And it's not like you're going off dribbling at the mouth. You're just trying to talk to the person in character in such a way that, you know, you elicit a response or you elicit a, you know, dialogue. Um, And if the situation is like great, like in breakfast club or 16 candles or something where John Hughes would ask me to improvise. And indeed I did, you know, um, So in this situation, I'm like spouting off in the middle of the forest. We're shooting this stuff. And And actors were like shooting paintballs at one another when they're pissed off. (laughs) Anyway, that's it.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Next, uh, a twist of the knife.
1: Well, this is Dick Van Dyke, right? Right. You see, you might think that these are obscure, weird things. But first of all, it was a childhood dream to work with Dick Van Dyke. Second of all, I got to know Suzanne Plachette on this one, and Suzanne Plachette lived a block away from me in Hollywood, so we'd end up going out to coffee and and having fried chicken at uh, Cuckoo Roo together. um, But this, this shoot was arduous. We shot in Denver. It was during the election. It's when Ben Whitehorse Campbell won the Senate for the Democrats, and then he switched to the Republicans. This is back in 19... What year is this? 80, 80... No, excuse me, 93. 93. So we actually shot it in 92, which is the the uh, November of 92. He's, you know, when they put this stuff in IMDb, it's like, okay, they shot it in 92, but they released it six months later or three months later or whatever. Right. Um, shot it in Denver. I couldn't believe that Dick Van Dyke wasn't doing better stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I met the mayor of Denver. went to a football game. Um <laughs> I was treated like a minor celebrity, more, more minor than celebrity. uh um, oh, fuck. It was, you know, um, it was a uh, – I can't even remember anything about the character I played. Uh, he's a very
0: shady guy. <laughs> so I mean, I've never I, played those guys before. That's That's got to be a rarity in your
1: uh, filmography. A very shady guy. Interesting. Wow, I don't remember that uh, one. But, I believe you were actually you know, he, uh, tr-
0: uh, attacking Suzanne Pluchet, if memory serves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I had a major league hard on for Suzanne Pluchet growing up with The Birds. Who's like, oh, do I choose her or Tippi Hedren? I was like, wait, maybe both of them. And uh, <laughs> so, so to work with her, I mean, you know, that's it. Um, Mr. Van Dyke uh, was great. I ran into him once in Malibu. <laughs> he didn't remember me. <laughs> End of story.
0: I should say that in calling this one obscure, it's kind of relative. Because, I mean, what it ultimately is, is the pilot for Diagnosis Murder. It just doesn't have Diagnosis Murder in the title.
1: Right. And, um, you know, and this is also in those waning days of TV when, like, I, would, I did Murder, She Wrote, and a lot of all these other shows where, uh, you know, I did Andy Griffith, uh, Matt Locke. And, you know, they're not making those shows anymore because that generation is basically the World War II. Like, my mother watched those shows. Those types of shows, maybe, maybe Lifetime, maybe there's a genre of those sort of, but that, those producers, the Fred Silverman's and this, they're sort of gone, but they were riding the, um, the sort of the end of network TV gravy train, I think on that one, you know, movies of the week and things like that, which are all, you know, it, it seems so archaic now, right?
0: Yeah. Well, well I think it's funny it? this it is just complete trivia, but, uh. That particular film was co-written by Jerry Conway, the comic book writer who co-created the Punisher.
1: <laughs> you see, yeah, well, he's looking for a paycheck. But you, you see, again, in the in the uh, brick in the wall theory, it's like, well, yeah, he did that because he worked with this producer, so he did that, so it facilitated this. He might not have gotten to the Punisher had he not gone through that part of the, you know, the. the, the so, uh, but yeah, I don't really remember much about the gig outside of the uh, the time in Denver. And Suzanne, I know there was a hospital scene in it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff in the hospital.
0: Yeah, I mean, stands to reason,
1: being doctors. No, I I know that, but I just remember that. <laughs> I remember that, but me being hyperventilating and underneath this sheet. and You know, stands to reason. Thanks, Will. <laughs> Thanks for putting that, – that's a little twist. Look, I don't get a lot of openings to give lines like that. You stupid fucking actor. You know, yeah. I had to be in a hospital. <laughs> All right. Interview's over. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> next one, sir. That's what
0: I get for trying to have a good line.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's good. It's like you're, but I haven't still done the. I haven't pulled the. Uh... Anyway, am I too willing to talk about these uh, turkeys? But
0: oh no, no, believe me. Uh, there's a tendency to get very much toward the end, and then suddenly start pulling them. Mm. So you're fine. Uh, let's see. Well, so next one then would be. Uh... <laughs> you might use one here. Uh, deep red.
1: Yeah. What's wrong with Michael bean? Um. No, <laughs> don't want to talk about it. Okay, so just say no. Well, no, I mean,
0: what <sighs> <laughs> just say no about Michael Bean?
1: Well, I hope he's. I hope he's figured out what's what's going on with him. Seemed like a nice enough guy. You know, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been just... fortunate. I've been fortunate, really. You know, in in whatever way you want to characterize my career, I just have always wanted to be a working actor. So I've been fortunate that I can probably count the number of assholes I've worked with on uh, my two hands, maybe just one, um, if I really want to count extreme assholes. Um, but Michael doesn't, he's not on those hands. Then the other, the other category I put is like uh, troubled, but why question mark? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, the director on that project, uh, was a, was a stunt guy writer who directed Craig Baxley. Yeah. Craig Baxley. Nice enough fellow. Remember shooting at night in the in the valley with with Michael and doing a lot of car stuff, and then we'd had to do this warehouse thing and then we had to deal with this stuff that turned red the deep red actually that stuff <laughs> i i didn't uh, I didn't really not enjoy working on this film, but it was kind of a job <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um I'm not an actor that phones stuff in, so um I think I was just annoyed by uh, some behavior on the set so let's get keep on going. Fair enough.
0: Uh, let's see. Next up is uh, Rebel Highway, Cool and the Crazy. Fuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Christ. What's his name? The director of
0: – Oh, Ralph Bakshi.
1: Yeah.
0: Is he still with us? He is. He's uh, He's returned to animation, which was his forte, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I have uh, again going to reference ibid. To reference before, like maybe I sound like a boring guy or something, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I haven't worked with that many um, frenetic, you know, crazy artists. There was a we shot we shot downtown. I played a Greek guy. Um, the, the shooting was rather intense uh, because he'd done animation. He did the the cool and the crazy was a was series that this was from, right?
0: Right. And.
1: Um, it really held great promise because there were showtime for showtime or something. They were doing these kind of movies, kind of like 1950s movies, revisiting them. And, um, you know, I was kind of the, for lack of better character, like the John Colacost character and the postman always rings twice or, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the Greek owner of this dive that the kids come into and hang out and, you know, Hey, you know, and so there was a, there was a sequence where I had to be, with a baseball bat, be really violent. And 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 the thing about Ralph that I kind of dug, but also kind of scared me, was there was an element of, um, again, I think as he did animation with Fritz the Cat, that was his big thing, right?
0: Yep, that was him. Um,
1: to which I remember, which, which was formative, because that's when I was in high school, coming out of high <laughs> school, you know, and, and, and smoking a lot of weed or something. But um, that was a big time... For this, there was there was shooting for this ultra realism, but also going for this really stylish fifties thing. So I remember the set being kind of um, dangerous physically because I had to break stuff and to use this baseball bat and come across this bar. And he wanted more, you know, of that. And you know, <laughs> ah, I remember something about deep red now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, because I remember I had to fire a gun. And the DP on Deep Red, I think this is the guy, had just worked on the Brandon, Crow, Brandon uh, Lee movie, The Crow, where he was killed. Oh, yeah. And I remember they, didn't, they said they didn't have time to do the check on my gun. Mm. And the DP walked away and flipped out, like crying and angry. And he said, if, if you don't have time to check this guy's gun, maybe you'll have time to attend his funeral. You know, they do these air pops now, right? So there's nothing coming out of the gun, but it just shoots air. So it gives the illusion that something's coming out of the gun and then they can either dig it in or whatever. In those days, there was CGI wasn't as sophisticated, but the, I just was remembering that as a parallel thought because of um, the cool and the crazy, what I was, what was making me think about that in the cool and the crazy is situations where I've been, where I felt I was going to be hurt or in danger. And, that's the one thing about the cool and the crazy. I just felt like there was glass, there was stuff breaking. And, you know, what happens is, though, they want to do it in a hurry, right? So that's when people get hurt. Yeah. Or actors say, let's do it again quickly, you know? And, like, and I've been guilty of that. And all of a sudden, you know, something hasn't been set properly. or And it's always a little stuff that hangs you up. I mean, you know, something, something, you know, like a, a drawer out in your walking thing and that your knee hits the drawer, you know? I mean... It's not huge stuff, but it's always little stuff that's not reset in the movie world. I don't know. I'm getting into minutiae, but Ralph was really, wow, crazy. And, and <laughs> um, coherent, but, um, kind of in that evil. I mean, that mad genius sort of way. Yeah. Um, that's all I remember from it. Okay. I was also, you know, the, the, the thing that's thudding down the, the the stairwell with this is you like boom, 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 as you say, oh, this film, this film, is it like how disappointing the product was, you know, like, like all's fair. Uh, like there, the, that was done in the eighties, right? Was it 88, 86, 87?
0: That one was actually 94. Oh, right. Well,
1: the eighties hadn't ended yet, <laughs> uh, but there was just a lot of God bless John Candy. He was a great friend of mine and I mean, not friend, but he was a great mentor of mine and I knew him and he was important in the early part of my career. But, he, boy, you watch some of these John Candy movies, it's like, really, man? You know, could have done better, like, I don't know. Some of these late 80s, early 90s films were just crap comedies, right? Well, it's so
0: crazy about that one in particular,
1: no pun intended, that Cool to Crazy, apparently,
0: Bakshi had actually written that or started developing it anyway, like, in the 60s.
1: Yeah, well, Bakshi's like that other guy who directed Rock and Roll High that I did a TV movie with, that Shannon Steele. Is that on the list?
0: Uh, it's not. Maybe it should be. Maybe we can switch that
1: up. Oh, someone else Shannon Steele, but we can put that number 11. Uh, what's what's <laughs> his name that directed Rock and Roll High? Oh, Alan Arkish? Yeah. Um, Guys that, you know, hold on to stuff and, you know, do stuff, but they kind of get kind of, they get so intertwined in what they want to do is that it, it, it's strangely dated and doesn't make it because they, uh, I don't know, they hang on to their dream in a way that's not necessarily healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about Alan Arkish, but
0: I would say that's probably fair for Ralph Bakshi because he – the animated thing he just did recently was something that he apparently been trying to do again
1: for, like, decades. Right. You know, next.
0: <laughs> uh, next is the sports pages.
1: Well, I loved working on that. I loved working with Richard Benjamin. Kelsey Grammer and Bob Newhart were in the first bit of it. My bit was with uh, Gene Levy. Shot it in Vancouver at the Hotel Vancouver with a lot of extras. Wore a (laughs) hairpiece and um, played this New York guy. I love doing it. I wish wish it was more successful. And this is where it's painful. Like, you know, you look back at it and go, hey, let's look at this one. And why was this a dog? And you go, well, okay, well, uh, I never really thought it was a dog. (laughs) I kind of put my heart and soul into it and uh, um, thought it was going to be working. Um, so the one thing you don't know is like you don't know which ones are going to stink and which ones aren't. I think that the problem with the sports pages was that they didn't flesh out the idea enough. They could have done a lot more of them. And they, you know, if they made it more of a regular series. But uh, again, Richard Benjamin directed it. A legend. Have you seen it?
0: You know, I think I have. I, 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 I not. I was able to revisit it before we did this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it when it was originally. Oh, it was a TV movie, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Doesn't work yeah maybe it doesn't work because of me, you know that's the other thing so, well, maybe I <laughs> could have got a better actor in there no I, I I think that I think that uh the the one thing I do remember from it is again uh having to break something with glass where they had to I had to break into this recording studio or into this broadcasting studio because uh it's it's about the Super Bowl right when it goes off the air yeah, it's called the Heidi Bowl. the <laughs> Heidi Bowl, right oh right. I remember the girl that played Heidi. Um, <laughs> next,
0: and I, I should just say that with this podcast, even though it's called Obscurity Knox, by obscurity, I, I'm not like actively seeking out things that I think might have been terrible. I just, <laughs> no, it's I it literally it's stuff that I've just never even heard of
1: in most cases. The clarification, no, and then I'm I'm uh, I'm sort of subjectifying it in a way that uh, is probably not accurate, but I'm. When, when you look at these, you go, well, no wonder he chose all these because there's something in common with them is, A, they're obscure, but they're also kind of failures. Um, but and unfortunately, so far, you haven't listed what I would call a brilliant failure. You know, there are some things, some things you go, damn it, that should that if you saw that today, you know, or that influenced. But um, there haven't been any of those yet. I'll keep my fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: Oh, so next up is uh, Just Cause.
1: Oh, boy, the woman who's the lead in that was just – and she's got some other series now. That oh, was, uh, Elizabeth Blackie. Mm, yeah, I think she's uh, Australian or something. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't understand why people like that get TV series. really don't. I mean, you know, she makes linoleum seem exciting um, and a personality of t- a toenail clipping, and that's it. No. Um, I mean, I really did not like working on that show. It was – I had to play a janitor, you know. It's like I do not want to play a janitor again. After Carl, that was the only janitor I should have played. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to play sleazy guy number 49. And I just – it was just an uninspired project and just uh, what I call TV filler. (laughs) Um, Boy, I did not like working on that show. Next. Okay.
0: Uh, this next one, literally, I can't find out nothing about it, so I don't know if you want to pass on it or not, but LAX?
1: Ziggy, uh, Ziggleboy, with, um, the stand-up comic flare to the moment, um, uh, what's his name, Dane Cook, did it ever get released?
0: I, I suspect it did not, and that was actually the only... Thing I was going to observe is that Dane Cook was. I, I, at it. Otherwise, I, really I don't really look, know anything about uh, it. And it, sticky fingers.
1: <laughs> the I really rapper. The digital aid movie that was shot on that set film. No, that was a movie that was supposed to be Dane Cook's breakout film, and um, I shot it. I remember shooting this whole sequence in a car with Dane, where we just had a camera set up like a GoPro, but it was before GoPro, sort of mounted on the hood. And one on him one on me and we drove around West LA for about an hour and a half talking and shooting stuff. And then we pulled back into this parking lot and then they uh, downloaded the video and said, thanks. Um, (laughs) we shot stuff up in a mansion. I worked with Dane, uh, who was a nice enough guy, but I find decidedly unfunny and what I would call an HHS, a huge head scratch. And, uh, (laughs) Yuri Ziggleboim or whatever his name was, uh, I think a young, uh, you know, I thought, I thought this could be really hip. Maybe I'm doing something really hip here, and uh, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I never heard Heidner you know hiding her hair from these people again. I remember we tried to contact them. And is the film coming out? What's going on? You know, one of the uh, interesting tales about Hollywood, or is that? And when you are, when you produce or create projects, you can shoot something, but stuff gets lost in post-production. You know, things can meander off, the editor can do this, and like, oh, we finished shooting this four months ago and still hasn't been edited. I mean, I did a film four years ago, and I still get calls from producers, yeah, we're still cutting it together, and like, yeah, right, you know, (laughs) call me on the 20th anniversary. And and unless people have a deadline, or they really have people that want to see it, or that they're real players, you know, like Jill Soloway doing... uh, afternoon delight or transparent you know um right then fuck off you know um so part of my raison d'etre for being has been to you know and i'm being blunt with you is, is to you know to do a lot of stuff right but sure. sometimes man you know uh they're not there lax was a huge disappointment that way i thought these people for were for real but then i got hipper to dane cook and and not unlike Donald Trump. I mean, he's got all this success, but, you know, I, I can't find somebody that likes him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's not my cup of meat anyway. Um, I, I, the movie as we were acting it wasn't working. So that doesn't yeah, surprise yeah. me. <laughs> Am I a bummer or what? No, I mean, this,
0: they're, they're real stories and they're stories that I don't think people have ever heard. So exactly yeah. what I'm asking. Yeah.
1: Wait till the lawsuits come. <laughs> Hey, that means more people will be downloading it, right? That's it, baby. You plug my podcast, I'll plug yours. I've
0: got the name of it right in front of me, so I don't forget <laughs> You mean Lingua Franca? Yeah, cunning Lingua Franca. <laughs> uh, next one is uh, Fast Food High.
1: Fast Food High. I know.
0: Actually, that looked like it might have been kind of interesting. I mean,
1: No, I remember it. I'm just trying to remember it again. I mean, that's a, who, tell me where, when.
0: Uh, it was, the year was 2003, and it's Alison Pill.
1: Right, um, shot in Canada? Um, I believe so, so yeah. Was, yeah. All, we know who Alison Pill is. She went off to do, um, Sorkin show with, uh... Uh, Newsroom. Newsroom, right. The, the American Newsroom. <laughs> right. Yeah, as opposed to the Ken Finkelstein Newsroom. Yeah. Head Office isn't on this list, is it? Uh, if only. Yeah, right. You know that movie? I do, actually, yeah. Um... Well, all I remember is shooting a room in the, with uh, uh, a scene with these kids. Um, uh, I do know that one of the producers of the film is still a friend of mine. We went to high school together, and we're actually on the cusp of doing another gig together. Um, I did it primarily because uh, it was a favorite to see TV, I think. And, um, you know, I've got a weird sort of uh, – uh, cachet in Canada, sort of a Canadian that's got an American career that they like to use occasionally, but they really sort of don't want to admit that I'm a Canadian. So it's <laughs> so it's odd. Um, and maybe it's because I don't really want to admit I'm a Canadian too sometimes and that I've got an American career. So it, it was a weird, I you know, I I I uh, enjoyed working with Allison, but honestly, it was kind of an innocuous experience. I wasn't in for much, but uh, wrong. that's it. <laughs> next, <laughs> I wish uh, I had something really exciting to say. Oh, that's when I killed someone. Yeah, that's when I show you. No, maybe the next one.
0: <laughs> uh, one Eleven Gramercy Park.
1: Oh, fa- la 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 la. Well, okay. first of all, this was a failed pilot for ABC. Shot this in Toronto with um, Frank Langella and Jamal uh, White. Right, okay. Jaleel. Um, oh, come on, John. Uh, Herkel, Urkel.
0: Uh, yeah. Jaleel White. Jaleel
1: White. I mean, yeah. yeah, not Malcolm Jamal Warner, because I got them, their names mixed up the other day. I was at this event with a lot of black people and this guy thought I was talking about Malcolm Jamal Warner when I was talking about Jaleel White. So uh, <laughs> I got it. It sort of strangely embarrassing for me. Like file under all your names sound the same. No, no, I just fucked up the name. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so Jaleel is, was, uh, is really charming. And, you know, Spence's, I think, career sort of going, well, I'm not that character. You know, I did. And uh, Frank Langella is wicked. (laughs) Have you read his book? I have, yeah. Oh, man. And uh, that was a joy. And I also got to work, there was a whole sequence with all these other actors, and one of them was uh, Joel Grey, who I think really disliked me. (laughs) (laughs) That's because also uh, it was a sequence that was really dumb. And like the Hispanic uh, actor, older man in uh, All's Fair, I started messing with Joel Grey when he had to do one of his things off camera and and, and just in a playful way, but I don't think he liked it. Um, and this is, again, one of those messed up TV experiences where um, I knew some of the producers and afterwards this went to network and they said it would have been perfect – had we not cast Frank Langella, you so and so, and and made everybody in their teens and stuff, it's like, oh well, great, thank you, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> but th- the whole cachet of the show was that this was kind of a, an Upper West Side, very posh apartment building, one Gramercy Place, and um, or one Eleven Gramercy Place, whatever, where you know you would follow the stories like the old TV show or movie Hotel in the '60s, where you'd follow you know all these different threads of stories of people coming in and out of the building. And, um, you know, I also chalk it up to bad, you know, the throes of bad hour of TV, pre reality television, you know, it's a sort of TV that reality television just cut down.
0: I did notice earlier, you're talking about having uh, the thing for Suzanne Plachette. Tippy Hedren was in this one.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah I was going to say Tippy, um, who is, I have to say really sexy for her age. Um, <laughs> She is. I mean, she's a remarkably sweet woman, too. Boy, oh, boy. She makes you feel like, you know, you're the only guy in the room and you're talking to her. She's that sort of person. And then she's like, you know, could be one of my mother's friends. So um, in age wise, it's like, oh, Miss Hedron, you know, (laughs) I have to say, just in passing, you haven't talked about it, but Angela Lansbury is one of the most beautiful people I've ever worked with in that regard. It's one of the just shining moments. Anyway, in, in so far as, you know, being nice, who else was in Gramercy Place? There are a few other actors of that generation. That
0: generation?
1: There was the Joel Grey, Tippi Hedren.
0: Other older actors. Oh, don't, worry uh, about
1: it. don't worry about it. You know, another brilliant failure. And also ABC, you know, apparently what they did was there's file this under. There's this expression in Hollywood. You never have enough money to make it. But you always have enough money to fix it. I think I think they spent you know X amount shooting it in Toronto and stuff, and then they came back and did some reshoots here in LA that cost three X, and still the thing didn't work. Oh, I
0: know. The only thing I was going to ask oh. about was just the fact that uh, no, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Jonathan Brandis was in it, right? And I guess it was like one of his last projects before he departed.
1: Jonathan Brandis
0: was a uh, young actor. I guess he was blonde kid. He was. He died? Yeah, committed suicide, actually. He was on uh,
1: Sequest. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that piece of trivia. Oh, huh, fuck. I, I can skip right over that. It's no, nice no, no. Out. Yeah, no. I'd... I mean, if you don't know anything anyway. I didn't no, know you know that, why? Because so. I had a friend that worked on Sequest, uh, Royce Applegate. Uh, the name, yeah. Well, Royce was in uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, where they're burning down. the. They find them in the barn and bring them down. and He was also – he was a really great actor. And, um, he's a, he's passed away too. Yeah. And, uh, I, I knew Royce from SeaQuest and I remember Royce, I believe, being alive at the time and that happening and uh, Royce being affected by that. That's all. So, well, you know, he died, um, well, I was at the party, it was, he had New Year's party he had and, uh, he fell asleep and the halogen light uh, burnt and then he got up and was, uh, passed out with the smoke and then that's it. Yes. So... Had he not turned off that damn halogen light? (laughs) I know it's like, great, great, John. Cheer us, everybody, and let's listen to more of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen.
0: (laughs) But now we're actually on the last one, and you didn't use any of your cards yet, which is fine. But
1: well, I mean, am I disappointed?
0: I feel like you could have saved yourself some trouble.
1: Okay, well, go ahead.
0: (laughs) The last one is uh, Gemini Division
1: Switcher. Fair enough. What are we switching to? The Relic. Beautiful. Okay. I think Tom Sizemore is one of the biggest penises I've ever encountered. Not figuratively or literally, but what a troubled lad. You know,
0: I, I was almost going to say, well, that's not that obscure, but no, I, I, suddenly I find it obscure enough for you to talk about. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, we can we can do switcher. We can do switcher A, B, and C. Um, uh, I don't know whether the Relic is that obscure, but you know, there's a really wonderful actress that was in a lot of John Ford movies in The Relic. Um, um, oh, and I'm blanking on her name, but she would talk about Pappy Ford. But boy, <laughs> uh,
0: there's... Now I've got to find her name. Hold on.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you've got to find her name because... Um, are you, Are you on your IMDb? I am right now, yeah. Uh... This is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. I could go on my IMDb, but I choose not to. But uh, everything that happened uh, Audra- to Tom, I would call him more size Tom. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, Tom he took an instant dislike to me. Not since Jim Belushi has anybody taken such an instant dislike to me. And um, and, and I know a bit about that. And and he, and he was, what about my thing with Jim or your? <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know a lot of the specifics about it. I just remember you mentioned it in passing when we did the random roles interview. That's right,
1: right, right. But the 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 dealio is that um, they they were both doing me favors by taking a dislike to me. They gave me fair warning that they were assholes. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know? uh, oh, I found her. It's uh, Constance Towers.
1: Constance Towers. Oh God, isn't she still with us?
0: uh she is she's 82
1: oh man you see now that was worth doing the relic for and i'm glad you didn't ask about this movie <laughs> uh, <laughs> peter himes wow wow and so there's this whole sequence in the relic that they're shooting where um and what's her name the lead mary louise parker she's the lead
0: uh no Van miller
1: yeah same know, yeah.
0: the three three names you're on yeah. the right track
1: lee harvey oswald um what happened was that she, there's a sequence where she's running through the basement, this monster's chasing her. Stan Winston was there uh, on the set and like, they kept on saying the monster's not working. The monster's not working. <laughs> and anyway, there was this whole sequence where uh, she's supposed to be running through the basement of this, of the museum after having broken all these beakers and bottles. And, and then she, they, they, they show her and the monsters sort of breathing heavily in the corner and the music sort of goes into this lull, and they, there's a shot of a close-up of her face, and then they sort of pan down, slowly down her body, and you see her with this look of determination on her face after panning down her body. She takes off her shoes, and now she's in bare feet, and she's about to sprint. And all I'm thinking to myself is, as I'm reading the script, is, well, they've just broken all these beakers and stuff. She's going to cut the shit out of her feet. <laughs> so as they're shooting this sequence, I have the temerity, They go up to Peter Himes, the director, who is, um, how would I put this? Uh, What does Donald Trump say? I I love the poorly educated. Um, (laughs) You know, I love the poorly educated director. Um, So I say to him, uh, you know, Peter, uh, Mr. Himes, uh, sir, uh, maestro, um, isn't uh, isn't there a possibility that, you know, she runs out there that she could cut her feet? (laughs) You know, like the audience might be. He goes, hey, the way I'm going to cut this film together. They're not even going to be thinking about that, sort of shoots back at me. Well, okay, fine, not a problem, not a problem. So <clears throat> flash ahead three months later, I'm sitting in the back of a $2 theater because the movie is done so badly, um, <laughs> like on Beverly, you know, like uh, like, it's sitting alone in this $2 theater with like a bevy of old ladies sitting in front of me, old Jewish ladies, <laughs> I think from Fairfax District, and all of a sudden this scene comes up, and I hear this lady go, she is going to cut her feet. <laughs> I think to myself, you know, you can spend $250 million. You can have a Stan Winston monster that doesn't work, but still, you know, if it's bad storytelling. Anyway, that's awesome. That's my relic story. Now, should I – um, we should plumb the depths with another, or are you finished with me?
0: Uh, well, I mean, if you've got one that leaps to mind, I'll, I'll take another. Otherwise, uh, um, you, you
1: will be free to go. Well, can you – why don't you just do a little bit of IMD Fish, IMD Fish and take a look at something that doesn't ring your bell?
0: All right. Let's see here. This will be fun.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, John does not know the film that William is going to throw in some
0: How about – I'm not even looking at cast. I'm just going by title. How about Stick It?
1: Oh, well, that's Jeff Bridges?
0: Uh, maybe – yeah, it is actually. Just not one I was familiar with.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, uh – the lead girl, I sort of felt the same about uh, the same person, Just Cause. I mean, she's got a series now. Uh, Missy Paragon. Yeah. A lot of people say it's like an 80s movie, you know. And I worked with Gia Carides. I mean, the big thrill is working with Jeff Bridges. But, you know, not, not, a, not, um, not the most inspiring experience. But the other thing is, you know, big budget movies, you know, lots of, lots of different setups and working with gymnasts, working in this shooting in USC. I like films that you have smaller locations and stuff. You know,
0: actually, I've got a, a better one to close on because uh, I, I would guess that you'll have a story for this one. I've never actually seen the film. I just saw, actually saw a photo. Oh, I'll, of give, you of the I'll give you one okay. after. I'll give you okay. Well, this pick was going to be "Everybody Wants to Be Italian" because ah! uh, I, I was just curious about working with Richard Libertini because I knew he had improv uh, background no, also.
1: Um, again, you know, you can look, you can find a silver lining in every film. First of all, that film's not that bad. Um, okay. it's actually got some good moments. Disappointing. I mean I think Jay Jablonski is a cool little actor, is in that? Uh right. Serena's alright. Uh Richard Libertini, uh, first of all, just passed away about three months ago. Two months ago. Right. Second city guy. It was a thrill to work with him. I know him from, you know, the in laws and the Steve Martin movie with Lily Tomlin. Oh, all of me. All of me. <laughs> and uh also he did a lot of Barney Miller's. He was very funny in those shows. <laughs> I love Barney Miller and he's a Buddhist. He was a Buddhist and he was so, so funny, so funny, so funny. And, um, he was very sensitive. One day I was not really feeling good and something had happened in my personal life that was really, really jarring to me. Nothing incredibly dramatic. It was just something that pissed me off. And I came to work. I didn't say anything. We did the scenes and stuff. And at the end of the day, he came up to me, and says, are you okay? I said, why? He says, there's something wrong, right? I went, Yeah. He goes, Let's take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was um a profound moment. He's one of these guys that was totally present. Totally present. <laughs> and uh inside Adam Swit or My Man Adam is the one that I'd refer to. Okay. And I've just recently become Facebook friends with one of the producers, Rene Missel, so or Missile, or uh, I forget how she pronounces it. So Renee, don't get upset with me, but um <laughs> That was a film with uh, um, Veronica Cartwright and uh, Raphael's Barge and Dave Thomas and directed by um, uh, Roger, Roger Simon. Simon, yes, yes. And um, that was another one of these – it was shot in San Diego, 80s comedies, uh, quirky, kind of taking uh, – Mark Berg, I think is one of the producers, went on to do great things, but just just did not work on so many levels. And um, – <laughs> And is one of those moments you go, well, what were they thinking? I mean, they were trying to make sort of almost like a Jacques Tati type of comedy in a strange way. It had it had the thing about that movie is that it had ambitions to be something else uh, or or to be great. And and it sort of fell apart. So that movie, I would not say was a was more of a brilliant failure. But if you revisited it, there's very little thing brilliant about it. And I'm sure that Renee would concur with me on that. And Raphael, Raphael, I've worked with since then is Barge. Um, we did a episode of Crossing Jordan together and a few other things. And I see him around campus, as we say at auditions.
0: <laughs> I will say that I, I did a uh, random roles interview with him also and uh, made a comment to him uh, about well, actually he brought it up. He brought up my man, Adam. Right. He said, uh, I, I don't know that it holds up. Someone sent me the trailer recently. Uh, and it's sort of a Walter Mitty kind of story, uh, but uh, it's out there to embarrass me for years to come.
1: Yeah, and I think that he's probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let I'll let his words speak for himself. <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, John. Oh, I appreciate you enduring this. Is, is,
1: is the is the interview over? Really? <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's flown by despite the pain.
1: Yeah. Well, you know you're um you're very kind to let me indulge myself.
0: Well, you're very kind to uh, allow me to do so, like, like still getting this thing uh, off the ground. So it's nice to well, reach back to people who seem to enjoy the, being interviewed by me before and let them have that experience again. When well,
1: we're off air, you got to tell me more about your podcasting experience. But uh, Absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, whoever's listening out there, uh, my show is called Lingua Franca. And and the thing is that with podcasting is that I listen to them. I like to listen to Mark Maron's. I listen to yours. I, I like them because what they do is that they fill a spot in my listening world that I didn't know t- hitherto was, I didn't know was there, you know, like I'm waiting at the doctor's office and I don't really want to listen to music and I don't want to listen to the news and I don't really want to. So uh, it's kind of interesting to listen to two people, to yammer away, maybe not right now, but, um, there's some, Are you kidding? This is fascinating. The podcast form that sort of, uh, it's like glue. It sort of filled the spots where I, it's it, you know. I also like listening to books on tape when you're driving long distances and stuff. But podcasts have a sort of unique place. And um, how many have you done now?
0: Ah, uh, this is number four, so not many, and it's still very much a work in progress. Sure. But it's fun, kind of finding the groove and seeing how well this format works. And it seems to be entertaining to both uh, the interviewee and the listener. So I must you know, be what might something. be
1: fun to do at some point is to uh, do you know. Like, because you have Kurt or Raphael, you can always uh, come back and maybe have the three of us talk about experiences. Now, I've never worked with Kurt, so we don't have a common experience. But
0: Well, you I'll, worked uh, in the same film, just not together.
1: That's right. Yeah, of course. That's what I meant. Like, I think we were both in yeah. autofocus, right. Right. Because he played Klink. I mean, um, you know, Werner Klemperer.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, who was Colonel Klink, right? Right, yeah. Right. And, um, and he's so damn good. Man, he's a good actor. <laughs> He's a blast to talk to, also. Funnier than me, right? Come on! I, you can... I, I'm
0: I'm not even going to go on the record on that. <laughs> not getting involved.
1: Yeah, we're all sensitive <laughs> waifs, us actors.
0: Yes, sensitive and waif. Those are two words that immediately left a
1: mind <laughs> when you look at me. Well, listen. Um, thank you so much. I don't know uh, absolutely how you, you sign off your own show, right? I'm not going <laughs> to. I do. I'll do the official
0: sign off. Uh, thanks for being with us, and please, people. After you listen to this episode, go listen to his podcast, Lingua Franca. So thanks again, John. Appreciate you got it. got it. You've been listening to Obscurity Knox, and now you're not. Look for us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just remember on Twitter, Knox is spelled K-N-O-X, and we're not bitter about that. No, really, we're not. Also, for a slightly more detailed look into the projects covered by this week's guest, head over to newsreviewsinterviews.com. Thanks for checking us out, and don't be afraid to check us out again. If you keep listening, we'll keep digging for more obscurities. See you next time.